from Philadelphia, 860 AM, WWDB Radio. It's a big date here in history. We're going to talk about Iwo Jima. But before I start that story, I got some big, big news to lay out here. And I don't know if we want to do a press release. We want to get the news anchors down here out front because this story needs to get out as soon as possible. I have a, a meeting scheduled at 1900 hours this evening with the Alpha Battery Reunion Committee. It sounds like Alpha Battery, 1st Battalion, 12th Marines, 88 to 92, will be having a reunion here in the Philadelphia area in 2025. This is cataclysmic. I took the liberty of contacting the governor, had him notify the state police, and call in the National Guard just to make sure that all the women and children are safe. Philadelphia will never be the same again. Let's hope it happens. I'll keep you posted after the meeting tonight. How's that? This is a big date in history. February 17th, I think, is generally credited with the exact date. But February 19th is kind of the unofficial date of Iwo Jima. And part of the reason why you have these different dates is this was a campaign. There was a bit of a kickoff. What exactly, what date are we talking about? The day that the troops left, the day that they arrived, the day that they did what? Well, all these have different dates. But right around this time, many years ago, Marines were fighting on Iwo Jima. You know it. It's got the famous statue. Everybody knows the statue, right? The Marines are climbing on the hill and, and raising the, the flag. It's a, it's a very famous photograph many of us love. I have a copy of it hanging in my home studio, as a matter of fact. Now, this happened quite a long time ago. I only ever met one Marine who was there which was absolutely awe-inspiring to me. It makes me shake just thinking about it. And the reason that it does that and the reason that the, the statue invokes such emotion is because of what took place there. The five men in the photograph I just recently learned, John Bradley from Wisconsin, Franklin Sousley from Kentucky, Harlan Block from Texas, Ira Hayes from Arizona, he was an American Indian, and Renee Gagnon from New Hampshire. Those were the five Marines in that photograph. Incredible stories their lives took up after that. But why is it so significant? Well, because those of us that know, we understand what those men endured. I was in touch with the commander of Fox Company 223. Lieutenant General, General Lawrence Snowden was the commander of Fox Company 223 at Iwo Jima. He used to say that battles were ultimately won by infantry going ashore, planting the flag, and proclaiming we're in charge. It's a pretty fascinating battle plan when you think about it. Walk in there, kick down the door, and take hold of the ground. Sounds kind of crazy, really. Well, he would know on February 19th, 1945, it was then Captain Snowden's Rifle Company did just that at Iwo Jima. His company landed on the beach at 09. By 0920, the battalion landing team had claimed 10 acres of Japanese territory, 20 minutes to capture 10 acres. I'm going to tell you, you really got to think about, imagine that you had, say, a, a foreign force landing on the beaches of Florida or something like that and suddenly occupying territory there. That's exactly what was happening. The Japanese had a response to this. In the words of Captain Snowden at the time, he said, 
Um, effectively, the Japanese refund, responded saying, welcome ashore. We'll see how badly you want it. I'll tell you the story. It's not for those with weak stomachs. I'll tell you that. The symbolisms of the Marines on Iwo Jima is a representation of the hard sacrifice. Every inch that they fought for was absolutely grueling. I'm going to tell you the whole story of Iwo Jima and how it ties into some big stories that are going on right now. This is not ancient history. you got to listen to what I'm going to tell you, such as the discussion we just had last week about Force Design 2023. No, I'm not going back down that. I couldn't believe the response to the show. I was surprised that people were so interested in it. A lot of changes being made by our military. Some good, I acknowledge that. But some are not so good. And it's created a big, nasty debate around all this. And the simple issue is that tanks and artillery have been taken away from the Marine Corps. I'm not saying going to take them away. Much of it is gone. Think about the ramifications of that. But here's the, here's the point. I found that there's something going on that's even much bigger than that. That's not even the big story. There's staggering changes going on to the Air Force, implementing changes that go completely against normal, common-sense organization. But it's bigger than that. Much bigger than that. The, remember what I said last week about this force design 2023, that somehow there was this unilateral decision that the Marine Corps was going to focus you know, only on supporting the Navy. The Navy doesn't have ships for the Marine Corps. The complaint about this was made public by the IMF commanding general down at Camp Lejeune, 1st Marine Expeditionary Force. I don't have ships. The commanding general of your expeditionary force, I, I don't have ships. I saw even a Marine mom has a blog about it. I'm not making this up. This is huge. There's a lot of talk about it. We'll get back to all that. Lots to discuss with that. Welcome to Project Chaos, a radio show like no other. As American veterans, we all take an oath, and it's an oath that we all share, every one of us. Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines. It's the one identical bond that we all share, and that is that we all took the same oath of enlistment. And you know what? It does not expire. In other words, we're not turning our backs on our country, not now, not ever. We all know we're in a difficult time right now, a moral and leadership crisis on every level. Chaos, every day a new crisis. But I have good news for you. It's always been like that. I say all this to tell you this. My goal is I'm honored to speak about the Marine Corps, our, our, our military, and our country, and to do it from the studios here at WWDB. My goal is simply to provide the best possible radio show with the highest integrity. I don't care about being the biggest or the highest paid. Since I was 17 years old, took my oath to enlist. I only ever strive to be the best I can. Welcome to Project Chaos, the radio show that brings you the mindset and perspective of our nation's warriors. I am your host, Chris Kunkel, United States Marine Corps veteran and author of my newest book, Victory Over Chaos, which tells the true story behind the U.S. Marines' battle for Kafchi. If you like what you hear, please be sure to visit projectchaos.org. And I suppose I should say, share it with a veteran that you know. Let's go back to the sandy beaches of Iwo Jima. And speaking of the sandy beaches of Iwo Jima, I just got word uh, then I'm going to be getting some sand from Iwo Jima, and we'll put that uh, in the studio back at home uh, as well. Nice little momentum there. But anyway, memento. This story of Iwo Jima, it's a story of heroism and, and sacrifice. That iconic image of the Marines raising the flag. It's not about the flag. It's about the land. That's what the whole point is, the hill, not the flag. We had flags. We brought the flag in, but it was putting it there that made all the difference. 
Lieutenant General Lawrence Snowden, commander of Fox Company 223 at Iwo Jima, a man who truly understood the battles were ultimately won by infantry, planting the flag and declaring authority. He understood the pivotal moment on February 19, 1945, when Snowden's rifle company claimed 10 acres of Japanese homeland territory. But the response from the Japanese is not a tale for the faint-hearted. This narrative is, is a vivid portrayal of the symbolism of the Marines on Iwo Jima and a representation of the incredible sacrifice that those Marines made. They get, they get on, the, on the beach, and you know what the first thing they wanted? What would you think that would be the first thing they wanted? They get on the beach there that morning. What did I say? They landed at 09, and they're going to take this territory. What's the very first thing that they wanted when they got there? What did the Marines want? A beer, a sandwich, clean socks. What would you say? You know what they wanted? Tanks, tank support, armor, you know, armored tanks. I'm not talking about like a water tank. I'm talking about like the piece of military equipment. Remember when we used to have those? It used to be a thing in these wars. Back then it was. They still had them, but they couldn't get them. But this is where I mentioned the, the, the uh, discussion we had last week about Force Design 2030. The Marine Corps has given up much of its tanks and armor. And you listen to this story and you tell me if that decision makes sense for the Marine Corps and for our country today. The Marines, they made their landing on Iwo Jima. They quickly came under fire. No surprise. In the process, guess what happened? Marines were killed. Marines were injured badly. They desperately needed the support of armor to penetrate the Japanese front, which was heavily fortified because they always are. That's what a beach landing is about. You're attacking a heavily fortified installation. The Marines, when they landed, they called for tanks, and tanks were sent. But the problem was that they couldn't get on shore. They got stuck in the muddy sand. The Marines were trying to bring the tanks ashore, ended up under fire themselves, had to abandon the tank altogether. Now, you might remember me saying this, that war is won by logistics. As the, as the weeks went on, the Marines are fighting, taking casualties every single day, they're trying to attack these machine gun nests that are completely protected. The Marines didn't quit. Day after day. This went on for, I think, almost six weeks, if my memory serves me correct. They, had, they made attempts to bring in the tanks, ensured to, to coordinate with the infantry each time, failing for different reasons. Ships would come with replacements. They'd take away the casualties. New Marines would come in, and the dead and dying would go out. Every day, just getting their butts kicked. And then finally, the momentum shifted. Over, after th more than three weeks after the initial landing, they began a big push. And it began. And the first thing they do is they lay down every bit of preparatory fire that they could. Twelve battalions of artillery and naval gunfire. That preparatory fire by artillery, essential to allowing the infantry to operate effectively. Around the same time, they were able to successfully disembark the tanks, finally. Interestingly, the Marines on shore were nervous about the tanks initially when they first arrived because the tanks will draw fire from the enemy. And the Marines were nervous that the tanks were going to come out. It would be like a big target. But in their own words, the Marines on Iwo Jima, they said that the most treasured piece of technology was the dozer tank. And what these Marines did... They were bulldozers that they fitted with armor to push through the enemy lines, acting as a tank. The final battle was fought in that fashion. 
These were not M1 Abrams that, you know, go through the desert at 40 miles an hour and shoot while they're doing it with GPS and satellite technology and laser-guided missiles. These were the basic, simple cannons. They finally got them to push through, and the Marines were so happy to see them. After nearly a month of fighting, the Marines finally were successful, but not without extremely heavy casualties. Here's some of the conditions on the islands in these campaigns. The fighting on Iwo Jima was a battle for coordination. Um, Any type of organization in this scenario must recognize that if they were to achieve anything approaching coordinated uh, coordinated results on the outside, they must first achieve the state of coordination on the inside. What is all this about? This is like the after-action report basically blaming the Marines there for what had happened. Ultimately, in human organizations, the natural state is not one of coordination. It is chaos defined as anything less than coordinated action. True singular area of effort working as one to win as one chaos is on the attack at all times and has a familiar ally called friction. It can only be overcome with great effort and relentless leadership. Coordination is difficult. In other words, vicious tenacity. That was the only reason that the Marines made it to, the, to the, where they were ultimately planting the flag. It's the only reason that ultimately the Marines were successful at Iwo Jima, because of their tenacity. The Marines worked on their game. They finally brought it to Iwo Jima. They got the tanks. They knew what what a right battle looked like, and they brought that together, combining the tanks and infantry. Now, compare that to what I said last week about Force Design 2030. No coordination, total chaos, which is the what? We're going to blame the Marines? That's what we discussed last week. They've already started the process, history repeating itself. But it's not the fault of the Marines on the ground. It's a result of the poor leadership. Why would you take away the tanks and artillery with no replacement, no game plan? What is all this about? Freedom, we say the fight for freedom. What does it even mean? Free to do what? To own and to be in that order? To own our own ground, not to be under the control of someone else. That's... It's not freedom when somebody else is, is controlling what we do. And that's why the commander there said it was very simple. You're going to take control and you own that ground. Suddenly the people there under the control of the Marines, not the Japanese. At the end of the day, that's what every war is about. It's about the land. It's about taking the land, defending the land, keeping the land. I say this as a reminder. The purpose of our military is what? The defense of our nation. Whatever happened to that? Did you get a chance to listen to what I said in War is a Racket? I went through all this in the words of of Smedley Butler himself. He wrote this whole treatise on it. He said, look, the purpose of the military is to defend our country. If we were to bring back our military for defense only, now even if that isn't possible, how can we possibly be okay with leaving our own border wide open? makes no sense. Either way, way, whenever you think about every military campaign is about controlling the ground. It is about who is in control, who is making the decisions. And a lot of times, you know, you can talk about democracy and you can talk about what's right or wrong, but at the end of the day, when the chaos hits, when things get out of control, when nobody's really in control, somebody's got to take control. How does that happen? By who's going to be willing to take it and who's going to be willing to defend against it? This is the way that that life works. People don't realize we've had this long period of peace and it's been great for sure. 
Hopefully we never have another war again. But I'm going to say to you until that we're sure that maybe it would be a good idea that we keep the tanks and artillery in place. I mean, I'm not the, the most advanced military planner, but it seems like a bad idea to me. We're going to take a quick break and I'll be back. Lots more to talk about. Check out our exciting lineup of shows on WWDB AM Talk 860. Every Wednesday at 1 o'clock, you can check out the Don't Back Down show with Stan Casaccio and Andy exploring the pressing issues of the day. And you're going to want to make sure you catch Conservative Voice with Don Beischel Jr. airing every Friday at noon. He's got insightful discussions on conservative perspectives. You can listen live on WWDBAM.com or download the WWDBAM Talk 860 app for on-the-go access. You can listen live wherever you go. If you're looking for a veterans organization that you can support, I hope that you'll consider supporting Veterans in Need at Top of Illinois Veterans Stand Down, led by my brother Ron, a dedicated veteran. They host an annual event providing essentials to veterans from meals, clothing, to VA benefits help, and even haircuts. Every bit of assistance is significant, especially from fellow veterans. The organization thrives on donations sent to P.O. Box 477 Cherryvale, Illinois, 61016. Ron's commitment is unwavering, but he can't do it alone. If you're in a position to give, your contribution can make a real impact. Stand with us at Top of Illinois Veterans Stand Down because our veterans deserve your support. I saw Ron not too long ago out in Albuquerque. I was so proud to hear what he's doing, and he's a great guy to do it. If helping a veterans organization is on your list, please consider helping my brother Ron. Top of Illinois Veterans Stand Down, P.O. Box 477, Cherryvale, Illinois, 61016. Let me share a little story from my past. When I got home from the Marine Corps, I found myself in need of a job. I was fortunate enough to secure an entry-level role on a survey crew in an engineering firm, an experience that I found to be more illuminating than I ever could have anticipated. Surveying is an age-old art, crucial for measuring and mapping just about everything. At Stout Tech and Ellie, our tasks mainly consisted of plotting new roads, developments, pipes, infrastructure, even rail lines. The process was fascinating, applying mathematical equations to lay out buildings, roads, and properties. If there was a project happening in Montgomery County, chances were Stout Tech and Ellie was involved. The party chief back then, a younger Michael Tacanelli and I clicked instantly due to his disciplined approach. Indeed, surveying, like many things, has transitioned to digital and computerized methods. However, the key to success in engineering and land surveying still lies in professional discipline that ensures precise results, something Michael has been delivering for over 40 years. STA Engineering is equipped with the latest technology, but it's their decades of experience delivering top-quality results to developers and property owners across southeastern Pennsylvania that makes them stand out. If you require surveying, assistance with zoning, subdivisions, or business expansion, ensure you have the right surveyor and engineer. Complex projects need the right professionals to ensure smooth completion. Michael Tacanelli and his team at STA Engineering have a proven track record of delivering results. 
Consult any local municipality and you'll likely find they've encountered an STA plan. Ensure your project is handled professionally. Reach out to my brother Michael at STA Engineering. They are land surveyors and engineers ready to support your next project success. Ask for Michael Tacanelli at STA Engineering. We're back. We're live here from Philadelphia, 860 AM, WWDB Radio. We're here on the anniversary, the beach landing at Iwo Jima, 0900, February 19th, 1945, led by Captain Snowden's Rifle Company. Five Marines, you know the famous statue of the landing at Iwo Jima. What is the significance of that? The significance was the Americans on Japanese ground. That was the significance of it. The symbolism of the memorial is to the sacrifice that was made by the Marines. The Marines who raised the flag, I suppose they were the lucky ones, if you want to say it, John Bradley, Franklin Sousley, Harlan Block, Ira Hayes, Renee Gagnon. Real people with real names that came from Wisconsin, Kentucky, Texas, Arizona, and New Hampshire. Let me tell you what they did just so you understand what's going on here. And I want to tie this in with what's going on today so you understand. The job of the Marines, on an, and every Marine is trained to do amphibious landings, by the way. That's why you have to be able to swim. It's a story in and of itself. But they'll pack Marines onto a boat. It's a tin can. You think, oh, it's a military vessel. It might look kind of fancy. The front of it opens up a little different than most boats, but it's a boat just like any other boat. And they'll pack a bunch of Marines in there shoulder to shoulder, and they take them up as close to the shore as they can without getting the whole boat blown up, which is usually a couple hundred yards away from the beach itself. Maybe the water's not deep enough, whatever the case might be. The Marines get off, and now they've got to wade into the beach. Pretty simple so far. I mean, you got combat gear on, ammo, all these things, and you're trying to wade through the water. There's just one little problem that makes that all a little bit more difficult, and that is that there's people shooting at you while you're doing it shooting a lot, like machine gun nests coming at you from multiple angles. I'll tell you, one of the stories that makes me so angry, you'll read accounts that you'll say that you'll hear that the Marines at Iwo Jima, that, that the carnage was so bad that when they were coming ashore, they hid behind the bodies of their dead comrades. That's how they word it. I never referred to one of my brothers as a comrade. I never used that word. And I guarantee you there was never once a Marine that hid behind the body of his brother. The truth of the matter is they fought their way in there while their brothers on every side of them were falling left and right. They drugged themselves ashore, did what they needed to do, then walked back out there and brought them ashore too. They wouldn't leave them behind. Now, when the day comes for the big attack... You know, the day that we get to raise the flag and all that, the part that everybody loves. Here's the part that you need to know, the preparatory fire that I mentioned. This whole situation changes, and this is how this whole Pacific Island campaign was won. It's what our amphibious, it's how amphibious warfare works, the preparatory fire. You go in with the naval gunfire, the, the Japanese or whoever the enemy is, is sitting in these fortified machine gun nests, and you're coming in with your bayonet. Do you think they care? Not really. Well, they did ultimately because some of the fighting did get that tense on Iwo Jima. The only saving grace for the Marines is when the cannons go off. 
Everybody loves the sound. If you're one of the grunts on the, like, thank God they're firing. The naval gunfire, the preparatory artillery fire, 12 full batteries. 12 full batteries. That's eight guns, 96 guns firing to prepare the beach for the landing. And it's gone. That's the issue I'm bringing forward to you today. Force Design 2030 with no real clear goals or outcomes. Lots of very fancily worded, broad sweeping ideas. I don't know. There are threats that we have to deal with, but this is not a step forward. This isn't dealing with any of that. It's all just a cover. This isn't just me. Last week, I referenced the Naval Institute report saying much of the same thing. No, saying exactly the same thing that I'm saying. The question now is, what is the answer? Because the Marine Corps isn't going to give up. The Marine Corps isn't going to quit. They're not going to send all the battalions home. And now here we are where we have history repeating itself and not in a good way. The bigger issue is that the Marine Corps does not have ships. World With the world changing quickly, you look at the current threat, you got drones, satellites, advanced tracking, all these things are changing everything on the battlefield. It's created a world where time, distance, and money are no, are no longer luxuries that we can afford. The battlefield has evolved into something completely different. It's a world where readiness is paramount, where ingenuity and adaptability reign supreme. It's a world of chaos that's known well to people like Lieutenant Colonel Tom Williams. I want to talk about him here for a second. He's a seasoned veteran of uh, many NATO exercises, amphibious exercises in the Mediterranean, also been an advocate for unconventional solutions in the face of of, uh, adversity. And his experience, he wrote this this whole treatise on this that was a story in military.com, really, really well done, by the way, the whole story. And what Lieutenant Colonel Tom Williams has proposed as the solution to the lack of ships is his experience leading him to champion the use of commercial ships in times of war. And he references it as a strategy that was used during the Battle of the the Falklands War back in the 80s. Lieutenant Colonel Williams argues the lack uh, of new shipbuilding is not an excuse for lack of readiness. This is amazing, right? Instead, he proposes a plan B, which is to turn commercial ships into valuable assets on the battlefield. It's an it's a idea that's not just about survival, but flourishing amidst incredible adversity. And here's a guy who knows how to solve problems. It's just incredible ingenuity, really. I'm going to give you some more ideas on the adaptations of these ships. It's pretty phenomenal. And by the way, did you know that this idea was, that I'm aware of it being first discussed, was discussed by Thomas Paine in Common Sense, if you don't know. The first book I wrote, Common Sense in Modern English, I know the book well. Thomas Paine dedicated a a whole piece of that book to this, the whole breakdown on how much money it would save. Crazy story. Another story that I fell into because of my brother Michael here. He's been an incredible part of the show. Happy to have him here today, my brother. Always happy to have you here. I got this uh, out of a copy of the Marine Gazette that he gave me. I opened this up. I thought, this is unbelievable. Lieutenant Colonel Williams, a retired infantry officer who deployed twice to Vietnam, was an infantry platoon commander, then a a recon platoon commander. This is a guy that knows his way around the Marine Corps. 
He was uh, during the 1972 Easter Offensive as a Vietnamese speaker embedded with the Vietnamese Air Force at Hughes City, flying 190 missions during the first Gulf War. He was the operations officer for the IMF Mobile Command Post. Unbelievable history, really. He's got a website. He's got books of his own. You can check it out at heartofamarineseries.com. Let me share with you a little bit of the article here, The Case for Ships Taken Up from Trade and Alternative to Shipbuilding by Lieutenant Colonel Thomas Williams. He said, I first became acquainted with the concept of ships being taken up for trade. They call uh, ships taking up for trade, S-T-U-F-T. I would say commercial shipping. While serving as the amphibious operations officer of the Six Fleets NATO staff. Uh, at that time, he was responsible for, uh, to the commander of the Sixth Fleet for coordinating all amphibious training exercises for NATO throughout the Mediterranean. The principal participants in all that during that time were amphibious forces from Italy, Turkey, Greece, France, Spain, Portugal, and the, uh, the United Kingdom, the Netherlands, and the United States. During that assignment, he became familiar with the success of commercial ships through his Royal Marine counterpart, Lieutenant Colonel Andrew Eames. Commercial ships were deployed uh, by the United Kingdom during the 1982 Falklands War. Because Andrew fought in that war, he was able to share his firsthand views. For, For Lieutenant Colonel Tom Williams, he knew from during his tenure as an amphibious operations officer, the British Royal Marines and the British Royal Navy were keen to exercise the commercial ship concept during the specific portions of NATO amphibious training exercises. Pretty amazing when you think about it. In the past, he says, they've been able to buy the battlefield in terms of time, distance, and money. However, in today's world of emerging technology, there is no time, distance, or money to buy the battlefield. What does he mean by all that? Let me explain it to you a second. The time and distance, how's that gained? Tanks, artillery, naval gunfire, and also air superiority. How does money buy the battlefield? Well, many people don't know this, but the Department of Defense has a huge worldwide contractor network. So let's just say there was going to be a a beachhead landing by the United States at the Falklands. They probably already have contacts there. Advanced, advanced recon. But that's what he's talking about in part with the money to buy the battlefield. And since new ships are not really a priority and funding is scarce, the debt is soaring. This is according to the lieutenant colonel. And we're not at war. But he says, hey, I understand we don't have ships, but in my view, that's not an excuse for lack of readiness. Do you agree with him? Of course. While we should be forward-looking in the development of modern technology and the building of advanced warships, we must also have an interim solution to ensure we have a plan for accruing necessary shipping when war occurs on short notice as evidenced by past history. Here's another Marine saying the same thing. This blows my mind because I was here for this part. And I'm going to tell you what I saw and what he's saying. He was on a different end of this. An excellent example of the time we were short on amphibious ships occurred during the first Gulf War, 1990-91. During that war, Lieutenant Colonel was in the operations section of the IMF headquarters in Saudi Arabia. And while we were assembling our forces in preparation for the ground attack, at that time, there was a severe gnashing of teeth by both the Navy and the Marine Corps regarding the shortage of ships to embark amphibious forces. I recall this dilemma was eventually resolved by the repositioning of Navy ships 
from all across the Navy to embark on to uh, embark 30,000 Marines. That was only a small fraction of how many Marines need to move, by the way. He says he's a firm believer that peace must be maintained from a position of strength. I agree with that as well, by the way. Not having the funding for new shipbuilding is not an excuse for not having a plan B. See, this is a military leader speaking like this. We don't have any political leaders speaking like this. He says, therefore, commercial ships can be a viable plan B. Governments throughout the world history have made long use of commercial ships in wartime. Turning to commercial shipping at the outbreak of a war to rapidly increase sea power is a sensible short-term solution. He says, to have a reservoir of suitable ships to be taken up for trade such use in times of war, there are some very important considerations which must be addressed. First and foremost, as the identification of suitably qualified commercial ships. You don't want any ship. You want the right ship, which may be useful for specific purposes. Normally, the ship would possess certain characteristics, making it eligible for consideration. Secondly, there would be a contractual agreement with the respective government and commercial ship owner. Thirdly, there would be requirements for specific modifications that the government would fund, which would enhance the ship's usefulness during times of war. This is such common sense I can't believe that we had to bring out a, a Marine leader from ancient history to come up with this. He's saying that these modifications to the ships, for example, might include a helicopter, helicopter landing pad aboard the ship. In the era of today's modern warfare, helicopter landing pad is essential for receiving logistic replenishment, ammunition resupply, and is for launching helo-borne uh, helo operations from ship to shore. Another vital modification would be for routine underway replenishment to install a fuel replenishment system. This becomes an imperative when considering extended periods at sea over long distances. Installation of rockets and gun mount systems above board ships would also be critical modifications to a ship for self-defense purposes. For command and control capability, each commercial ship must have state-of-the-art communications and electronics packages. And he goes on and on to describe all this, which I'm not going to continue to go through. But it's really amazing that he came up with this very simple plan. He says, look, we don't have enough ships. We don't have any ships being built in this country. But listen to the way he's speaking. He's saying, look, we can't accept this as okay. We've got to find a solution. And he has the solution. Why isn't it being, being moved forward? This is a guy who was responsible for, co for coordinating all amphibious training exercises for NATO throughout the Mediterranean. He became familiar with the success of commercial ships through what he had seen the Royal Marines do. He's saying, look, with all this emerging technology and the threat that we all acknowledge today, that we don't have the time, the distance, and the money, that we got to come up with a new way. We don't have money to buy new ships right now. We've got to figure out a different way that we cannot accept any excuses. That is the ethos of our military. Cannot, will not. And he's saying, look, here's an interim solution. There'd be a plan to fund this. And he uses the example of the first Gulf War. Now, here's a funny little story about this. I'll tie in. It's a chapter of the book. I say Marines, my new book, I should say, Victory Over Chaos. The landing of the ships. I was on the very first ships to land in Saudi Arabia. First 100 Marines on the ground there. Those ships were civilian ships. They were not warships. We had no warship experts, uh, escorts rather. We had gotten, uh, when we first got into the Persian Gulf, we had uh, pirates attack the ship. Luckily, we had uh, Marine fire team support on the deck of the ship, 50 caliber. The ship made some evasive moves. The Marines on board fired back at the ship. The problem was taken care of. 
on board that ship. We were there's four ships, a fleet of four ships. I got back from Okinawa four days later. They said, pack your gear, you're going. I didn't even know where we were going, to be honest with you. We waited. I had deployed with these ships in the past. Get your gear, you're going out with the ships. But we didn't go to Guam, where we usually were with the ships. We flew all the way to Singapore, under the cover of darkness, got on those civilian ships. That's how we made the beach landing in Saudi Arabia. That's how the first Marines got there. There's always a solution. We're going to talk more about this when I come back. See you on the other side of the break. Tired of all the same old self-help books? You ever feel like, despite all the resources out there, you're still not getting the solutions that you need? Well, you're not alone. There's over 90,000 self-help books on Amazon, and yet millions of people still struggle with anxiety, depression, and PTSD. This is because the industry keeps recycling the same old philosophical advice without providing a clear, actionable plan. And that's why I'm bringing you something a little different. Be the Line is not your typical self-help book. It's an eye-opening revelation about the truth of happiness, written by somebody who's not a motivational speaker, a coach, or a guru, but somebody who understands the need for a definitive plan for achievement. Be the Lion provides you with the specific examples of what works, methods that have produced spectacular results over and over again. It's about doing what you want to excel at consistently even more than once a day because true success comes from hard work. This book is not about getting rich quickly by following someone else's successes. It's about solving real problems to become genuinely successful. It's about sharing simple solutions that actually work. So if you feel like your dreams are slipping by or you can't get started or you're weighed down by negative thinking, Be The Lion is here to make this year the best of year of your life. Don't take my word for it. Check it out for yourself. It's at all major retailers. Be the lion, the secret to massive accomplishment. Remember, you deserve it. Make it a great day. I want to tell you about one of my favorite places on the planet, EGA Defense in London, Ohio. If you're near Columbus and want to get out on the range, my brother Jared has got you covered. He owns and operates a unique range that offers a -a one-of-a-kind experience. One thing I personally love is the pistol range, where you can practice while moving. It's a big game-changer and a valuable skill to learn. We like to call it a tactical advantage. EGA Defense isn't just a great place to shoot. It's also home to my brother Jared and a great brother with a fantastic taste in radio shows. Whether you're a newbie wanting to learn or seasoned, EGA Defense caters to all. They offer concealed carry training and help sharpen your skills in preparing to face life-threatening situations. My brother Jared takes security seriously. I've heard him speak, and I can tell you, when it comes to safety, he's all in. Jared and I serve served an alpha battery together, and I can vouch for him. He's as good as it gets. So why not give EGA Defense a shot? Check it out today at EGADefense.com. Trust me, you won't regret it. You ever heard the name Jack Carr? He's a Navy SEAL turned New York Times bestselling author. I had a chance to read one of his books, and I was absolutely blown away. Carr crafts incredible fictional tales, drawing from his real-life experience as a Navy SEAL. I'm not usually a fiction reader, but his work is absolutely amazing, even better than Stephen King, in my opinion. I read his book after I wrote my newest book, Victory Over Chaos, the U.S. Marines' Battle for Kafchi. The similarity in our writing styles amazed me. This is my fourth book, and although I haven't made it to the New York Times bestseller list, I believe it's on par with the best out there. 
Victory Over Chaos tells the true story of the Iraqi attack at Kafchi and their attempt to score easy American kills by attacking the soft Arab coalition. By what they underestimated was the Marines' determination to fight back. The Saudi army may have turned and ran, but we held our ground. We recently discovered that the fighting at Kafchi wasn't even approved by the Saudi government, yet we never turned our back on each other. It's an incredible true story that speaks volumes about the Marines' commitment to each other. I'm inviting you to check it out at Project chaos.org. This is by far the best book I've written. Dive into victory over chaos and experience the courage, resilience, and commitment of the United States Marines. Visit projectchaos.org. Here's what I want to tell you is so important about this. I didn't bring it all up to give you a history lesson. I know most people don't really care. And I get it. It was a million years. Maybe you say, well, I don't like to say that you don't care. But it doesn't really have a direct impact on your life. Here's the reason why I told you why it would have a direct impact on every single person's life. Besides the national security interest, I think of this. But that's not really why I brought it up. Not, it's not, I didn't bring it up for political purposes. I'm talking to you because I know that you're listening right now and you've got something in your life right now that's driving you nuts. There's something that you want to do that you want to move it forward and you can't. I can't stop saying that. Find a way to get it done and don't let anybody stop you. For the Marines, I think it's partly why we have a little adjustment disorder. It's like we can't stop, you know? You get latched onto it like a pit bull and you can't let go. But there's something for everybody to learn in that. That anything, I'll tell you this quick story. My brother Michael knows the story. These battles don't end and they're not just for the battlefield. My new book, Victory Over Chaos, is two very important photographs on there. You can't believe what we went through to get those photographs right for the cover. I had to, I left no stone unturned. You know what? We got it done. I wouldn't quit. I'm using AI to change the photograph. I don't know how to use AI. I figured it out. Why? Because I needed to accomplish the mission. And whatever you have going on in your life, just remember that. Those Marines standing there in that cold water with their brothers laying there dead, standing there in the bloody water. You can do it. Whatever you got going on, you can do it. You can make it happen. And we can, too. I wanted to say something else about this whole story. Victory Over Chaos is going to be my fourth published book. I've actually written about 20 books. Isn't that amazing? I actually I want to write a book about how to write a book fast. <laughs> I've written so much now. And I'm not even really a writer. I'm a horrible writer, really. But I've written four books. The first book I wrote was Common Sense in Modern English. I translated the old English manuscript from Thomas Paine into modern English, and it reads very well. That's so why I was able to share someone I was able to share to you today, that common sense wisdom. I got done writing that book, and people started asking, what is common sense anyway? I could search. You couldn't find an answer. You find, like, a general definition, but no real answer. So you know what? I wrote a book about that, too. Explain what common sense is. Then I wrote a book, Be the Lion, The Secret to Massive Achievement, which shares a lot of these same thoughts on how to get stuff done and don't let anything get in your way. And you got to be working it. There's nothing comes easy. But it's those first two books I wanted to focus on a second. If there's one way I could describe everything in those first two books, Common Sense in Modern English, Common Sense, How to Get It Even If You Don't Know What It Is, very simply, why? Why is this important? It's important because we needed to be able to defend our country. It's important because we need to be able to innovate and adapt. That's why it's important. We all need to be able to do that. That's what made America great. Tenacious adaptation. Maybe we corn a new phrase there. 
I don't know. Why aren't we doing something similar now? These very simple solutions. The problem of the ships, the problem of the tanks, we just solved it right here. I want to say this to you, too, more broadly speaking, before we switch gears into another topic here. All of this is creating incredible opportunities. Somebody listening right now knows something about how to build a ship. Go start a shipbuilding company, for God's sake. Go figure out how to build a cheaper tank or something like that. Go figure out how to armor bulldozers, whatever it's going to take. I don't know. Maybe even security forces, maybe staffed by military. It could be a veteran company. I don't know. Big opportunities, that's what I see. We're talking about the land, owning the land. I want to talk a little bit about the battle for Trenton, which is another historic battle for our country. George Washington's crossing on the Delaware happening on the night of December 25th and December 26th, 1776, during the Revolutionary War. It was the first step in a surprise attack, which was organized by Washington himself. And I'm going to make a comment about that. It's very interesting. And he was uh, striking against these Hussein forces, which were basically, not basically, they were German fighters, German mercenaries that had been hired by the British and, and brought over to America to fight the colonists. Well, these German mercenaries were stationed there in Trenton. And just like the Marines on the beach at Iwo Jima, the Japanese weren't too happy about it. George Washington wasn't too happy about these German-British forces being on his land either. Well, the American troops were just really a ragtag bunch compared to the professional British mercenaries. These scrappy little revolutionary soldiers, they were really fighting an uphill battle, poorly equipped. Many of them didn't even have proper footwear, didn't even have proper shoes. Do you have any idea how important that is? They marched down from places like Quakertown. Anybody who lives in this area, I don't even like driving to Quakertown. You know, walk to Quakertown. Conditions were tough. And you know what? The whole plan that Washington had, none of it went as the plan. None of it went right. But they persevered anyway. Meanwhile, why? What drove them? People in Boston were suffering. They were faced with the choice of, of staying in the city and starving or leaving and being attacked, stuck in a hopeless situation. And this was the brutality of the Revolutionary War. Right here on American soil. Unimaginable when we think about it today. And the whole mobilization for Washington didn't go well. The whole fate of the country was laying, rusting with him. And it wasn't going well. Couldn't get across the doggone river in the winter. It's a little bit harder than driving across the Walt Whitman Bridge today. But finally, he was able to get a small portion of the army across the river. And Washington was ultimately successful at surprising the British fighters and catching them off guard. Now, how was this? This is where I want to make a comment about this. And I don't know. I don't know. I mean, maybe there is some documentation somewhere on how exactly Washington was able to do this mind reading. It was like he had a crystal ball in some ways. There's really no documentation of it. But what is well documented is that Washington had this uncanny ability to see the movements of the British in advance of when they were moving. Now, he had many other abilities as well, but this was one of them. And as I thought about it, I said, how is this with Washington? It's not like he's some, you know, great, uh, you know, has read a ton of, war fighting history or something like that. How would he predict these movements with such accuracy? And my theory on that is that Washington, a local boy, wealthy boy, who was probably well-liked, we know because he was elected president, he probably had a lot of contacts and people who supported him all over the place. And I think that he was probably using spies. I think he had somebody reporting. I think that's why he pushed so hard. Now, there could have been other reasons. 
I'm just speculating. But I think he knew if he didn't attack at Trenton when he did, he was going to lose his window of opportunity. But either way, just imagine a war going on like this today, the military in every one of our cities fighting in most American cities, brutal fighting, muskets. You know, people want to talk today about all oh, the these weapons of war have no business in civilian hands. You should go look at the damage that's done by the old muskets. I think you would prefer to be shot by a modern rifle. I do believe that. It's more humane. Those musket balls would just blow big, nasty holes, blow off limbs. And it wasn't like uh, they had quick access to hospitals and comfort medication and things like that. And if that wasn't enough, they would stab in each other with knives and swords. Incredible terrorist uh, tactics uh, used during the Revolutionary War. And all I can say about all this is that whatever people saw in Europe, they didn't want it here, that's for sure. This came, comes from my book, Common Sense in Modern English. It says, if monarchy wasn't bad enough, we added to it hereditary succession. Monarch monarchy being the degradation of ourselves, it follows that hereditary succession is the degradation of future generations. Since all men are created equal, it logically follows that no one by birth could have a right to set up his own family in perpetual rule over all others forever. Even if he himself might deserve some level of honor, his descendants might be unworthy to inherit his rule. One of the strongest natural proofs of the lie of hereditary right of kings is that nature disapproves of it. Otherwise, she would not so frequently turn it into ridicule by giving mankind an ass for a lion. In other words, if the monarchy were meant to be, there wouldn't be so many corrupt, evil kings. All I know is this, that the people that were here at that time were willing to do whatever it took to get rid of the monarchy. Washington's fighters did whatever it took. The stories are absolutely amazing. And so was the suffering. And that's a big part of the reason why Thomas Paine needed to write Common Sense. Came out after the war was started. One thing he said was this. The sun never shines on something more important than this. This is not an affair of a city or country or state or even a kingdom, but that of a continent, at least one-eighth of the entire planet. This is not a concern of a day or a year and age. Generations will be impacted by this fight, and we will be affected until the end of time by what happens now. This is the beginning of a new nation, a union of faith and honor. The smallest defect now will be like a name engraved with the point of a pin on a young oak sapling. As the tree grows, the defect will grow bigger and the generations will feel its impact. What is this all about? What are we talking about? I said it, freedom. But what does that mean? Freedom to do what? To own and to be in that order. To own our own ground, not under the control of someone else. That's not freedom. And at the end of the day, every war is about the land. It's our land, and somebody else was trying to take it. I say this as a reminder for the purpose of our military. The biggest purpose, even if you want to argue that there's other things that we need the military to do, if the purpose is not to defend our own border, then what is it? What do we even have a military for? Either way, when you think about it, every military campaign ultimately is about controlling ground. We have a ship shortage. We have a solid case for solving that. And every other problem that we see is easily solvable. 
It's just going to take a little tenacity and a little ingenuity. And people say, well, we had the problems, 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 but there's a good part to this story. And that is in the opportunity that it creates. We looked at these, the history of these uh, and the strategies that were used in these military campaigns. And I told you that focusing on controlling the ground is the central objective of all that. The Battle of Iwo Jima and the strategies employed by the Marines there, nothing has changed. Now compare that to what we see with what our, our political establishment has done to our military with the implementation of Force Design 2030. Why would they do that? We explored the concept of freedom, war, military, defense. And we talked about the cataclysmic idea. I can't believe I didn't think of it myself. Commercial ships in war. Lieutenant Colonel Tom Williams, a great suggestion. Highlighting the way we successfully used commercial ships before. The Chinese, by the way, have a huge fleet of commercial ships that they've adapted for war. It's one of the, the threats that we have to deal with today. Commercial ships should be our plan B. If we're not going to spend money on building new ships, which we probably don't need to do, what does a new aircraft carrier cost? Probably $100 billion, I don't know, billions and billions and billions, a huge commitment. We don't need to do that. There's a better, less expensive way. What other option do we have? Commercial ships. Talked about George Washington's crossing of the Delaware River. Everything that they sacrificed, why? To protect the land. That's the purpose of our military, to protect our borders. Can you imagine this today, that our military is so unprepared that we have a foreign force come and land in Trenton? We had this throughout history in all these various military campaigns and battles like Iwo Jima and compare that to what's going on with Force Design 2030 and this vital concept of defending our borders for our own survival. It's a reminder of the purpose of our military and the value of freedom. We need to look at innovative ideas to solve these problems. We used to have a, a saying when I was in the Marine Corps, Semper Gumby, which means always flexible, adaptable. Look at what George Washington did when he crossed the Delaware River. We need to be reminded of that perseverance in the face of hardship. It's the cornerstone of every victory. Every challenge presents an opportunity for growth, and every small step contributes to that journey. Keep moving forward no matter what. That's what I'm telling you. Thanks so much to the sound engineers here at WWDB. We appreciate the support, the great work. Thank you to Beasley Media for hosting us here. Don't forget to check out the Don't Back Down show with Stan Casaccio, uh, Andy Teitelman, and others Wednesdays at 1300 hours. The Conservative Voice with Dom Beischel Jr. Fridays at noon, all available on WWDB AM or the WWDB AM Talk 60 app. You can listen to the whole station. We've got some exciting things coming up next week. You can follow us on projectchaos.org. Go check it out. Thanks to all of our su subscribers, our supporters. I'll tell you, it's quite a journey getting here every day. And I was thinking a little bit as I was getting started. I'll share this little inside look at the show preparation. And I'd say about two hours before the show, my phone starts buzzing. People are reaching out to me. They know the show's coming on. I know you're listening right now. Thank you for that support. But people are interested in asking, what are you going to say? What are you going to talk about? And I start to get excited. And the reason that I bring this up, we need to speak up. We live in an era where people need to be heard. Ideas need to be shared. People's thoughts, concerns. People need to be able to speak. We need to be able to communicate with each other. In today's age, most people would say to you that they'd rather die than speak up. I don't think that most Marines have that problem. I don't know about the other branches of the military. I think it's the same, at least to some degree. I see it in my son's unit. He's Air Force. But they still have the ability to speak up. But you can do it. The thing I would say to you is, 
Don't confuse excitement with anxiety. And that's the point I was trying to make. I had like two hours of bouncing off the walls coming down here. It's so exciting to me. Thanks for joining us today. ProjectChaos.org. Check it out. Hope to see you there. We'll see you back next Monday. Make it a great day.